Well, um, it's our blessing this morning to be able to open up uh, God's Word and and to be able to um, reflect upon and enjoy a portion of the Christmas narrative as we find it in Luke chapter 2. So I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, Luke chapter 2. There's, you can essentially break down in the New Testament gospel accounts four parts of the Christmas narrative. And what we try to do um, here at Cornerstone is the Sunday service prior to Christmas, uh, we cycle through those four uh, passages. And hopefully over the years we will really um, uh, plumb the depths and enjoy the blessings that we find in these passages uh, for us as we review them uh, over a cycle of every uh, four years. And if you want to give a title to our message uh, this morning, it would be Responding to Good News of Great Joy. Responding to Good News of Great Joy. You know, Christmas um, is a time of year for joy. I mean, if you listen to the songs that are sung, both uh, Christian carols as well as uh, secular uh, Christmas songs, uh, the theme is frequently about uh, joy. And even in the greetings that we give one another, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, we're like demanding and insisting that other people be happy. And so we give them that greeting. Uh, And yet, even though this time of year is a time for joy, unfortunately, uh, this season of the year is notorious for producing in us a wide range of other emotions. Uh, This is a time where a lot of people are stressed out and frustrated and and angry over the snarled traffic and the long Lines And even when you go to the store now to just get something that has nothing to do with Christmas, you've got to wait forever and deal with traffic. Over this past week, there's been the emotion of fear uh, around the world uh, by some uh, Mayan prediction that the world is is supposed to uh, to end. I believe that was on Friday of this uh, past Week. And so there were people who literally went underground awaiting some cataclysmic uh, event or the end of the world. And so there was a heavy dose of fear uh, over this uh, past week and in the days and weeks leading up to, uh, to Friday. The world did not uh, come to an end. Just wanted to let you guys know that. Um, There's also another emotion that is associated with this time of year, and that is depression. Uh, There are people that struggle with with depression and discouragement during this season of the year. Um, There are many who their past memories of Christmas's past are not pleasant memories. And every year they come back to the remembrance of those past events. We used to have a lady 
who was a part of our church family a number of years ago, whose father committed suicide on Christmas Day when she was younger. And so coming into this season of the year was always extremely uh, difficult for uh, for her. There are many who are grieving the loss of loved ones that are not with them during this time of year this this year. And so there there's many who struggle with with these things for many understandable reasons. And these types of emotions can get people down to such a degree that every single year, uh, either online or in a magazine, I come across some kind of article on how to beat the Christmas blues. Uh, how to lift your spirits, how to deal with the range of all these emotions. If you're feeling down, what do you do about that during this time of year? And I remember a few years ago, I came across an article uh, and the title of it was How to Beat the Christmas Blues. And this author gave some suggestions. If you're feeling down, here's some things that you can do that will pick up your spirits and uh, bring you a higher level of happiness. Let me give you three of her suggestions. Number one, uh, run a couple miles or more if you can every morning. Maybe you're down because you're just not exercising. So get out there and run and get your blood going. Uh, a second suggestion was eat chocolate. This is serious. Um, uh, eat chocolate and add in magnesium food supplements, too, if you like. Maybe you're down because you're you're lacking in magnesium and you need to supplement your diet and eat chocolate. And I'm sure that suggestion is what everybody wants to hear. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I just I'm not eating enough sweets and enough chocolate. I I have to work on that. So thanks for that suggestion. Uh, and then another suggestion was use a full white spectrum lamp. Uh, check out the light in your home. Maybe you're not getting enough sunlight outdoors and in your house. Maybe the, the spectrum of light that, uh, that is hitting your body is not wide enough. So get yourself a full spectrum white lamp and turn that baby on and lift your, your spirits. And on and on the suggestions went. And I don't share these suggestions with you to, to be cynical or to knock on them. I mean, these are actually great suggestions. Some of you need to run. Uh, you know, I'm not going to knock any of, uh, any of these suggestions. But I begin with this, uh, these three items uh, because in our passage uh, today in Luke 2, we're going to encounter a group of men who were not just down, they were out of their minds with fear and anxiety. And by the time the passage that we're going to look at, uh, the events that are described there unfold, these men literally are out of their minds with joy. Their lives are totally changed. And what is it that made the difference, that, that brought them from a place of abject terror and fear to a place of extreme joy. We're going to get to observe that that journey. And another reason I share this list with you is because in this passage, we're going to observe that these men actually did some running. I don't know how far, but they actually ran. The text indicates for whatever that's worth. And we're going to see that they were actually exposed to an amazing spectrum of light. 
for whatever that's worth. Um, but I think if you were to talk to these men and say, what was the difference that brought you so much joy? I don't think they would say it was a great run or it was the light that we were exposed to. They would say we heard good news of great joy and we have never been the same since. And I want to submit to to you and to myself that this good news of great joy is what we need this time of year. It's what we need every day of the year. This is the ultimate difference maker in our lives. And what we're going to do this morning is just read through the narrative of Luke 2 and experience afresh the power of this good news to bring us the joy that that God wants us to experience. Um, and then when we get to, I believe, verse eight, we'll begin to break this down and I'll explain that when we get there. OK, let's begin in verse one of Luke chapter uh, two. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were accomplished for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We'll stop right there for now. Basically, in verses one through seven, we have the story told of the fact of the birth of Christ and and how and where it it happened. But then beginning in verse eight, we have the story of the announcement of the birth of Christ. Uh, and we're not surprised that Luke would include this in the narrative. I mean, whenever uh, throughout history and and even today, whenever a couple ever has a child, uh, one of the first orders of business is to deliver a baby announcement. Uh, they'll photograph the baby and, uh, you know, they'll 
um, you know, put the name of the child and some of the basic facts about that child. And they'll mail that out so that others can be brought in to the joy of this new birth. And nowadays people will post such a baby announcement or birth announcement on Facebook or through other forms or they'll pick up the phone and they're calling people to share this good news. And you know what, guys? God is exactly the same. His son, Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord, has been born. And the first order of business on the mind of God is, I have to announce this. I want to share this. And so he finds a group of men just outside of Bethlehem on a hillside watching their sheep and delivers the baby announcement, the announcement of the birth of of Christ. And we just read how he went about doing that. Essentially, when you look at the narrative of the of the announcement of the birth of Christ, everything in verse eight through 20 keeps pointing to this statement that is made by the angel. This announcement, this piece of news, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the mountain peak of this story. It's all about this announcement, this piece of good news, of great joy. In fact, look at the surrounding text. Verse 10, the angel says, by way of introducing that announcement, I bring you good news of great joy. After the, the angel makes this announcement, the shepherds speak of this thing that the Lord has made known to us. After they saw the baby, they went around And they made known the statement which had been told them. And as people heard the shepherds telling about this statement that had been told them, the text says they were amazed at the things which were told them. And the shepherds at the end in verse 20 are glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard as had been told them. The focus here is on this announcement. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How do you respond to that announcement? There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. In other words, the anointed King, the Lord. How do you respond to that announcement? I would suggest that you can tell an awful lot about a person by observing how they respond to an announcement like this. Let me just contemplate with you a few ways that people may respond to this particular announcement that there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Some may respond by considering it to be a lie. Um, It's a fabrication. It's something that was made up to deliberately deceive. Uh, There are people like the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche who says that the New Testament, which contains this story, is full of so much deception and corruption that he says, "I, I feel I have to wear gloves when handling it. He would consider a claim such as this to be an outright lie. Another way that some may respond is they respond by denying their need for a savior. They're like, well, I don't know if this is a lie or not. Frankly, I don't care. But you're telling me that someone 
has been born for me a Savior? Well, I don't need any saving. Thank you. So they're in denial of their need for salvation. And there are some who are actually offended by by this. You're talking to me like I need saving and I need a Savior to be born for me. Uh, one one individual uh, representing the mindset of many says we don't need a savior. If Jesus died for your sins, you are one wretched human being. I don't think that's good news. So his attitude is when he hears an announcement like this, he's like, oh, when, I'm, someone may have been born, but I don't need a savior. Thank you very much. And they're insulted by any suggestion that there is a savior that that they need. And you can understand that if you pridefully think that you need no saving, um, it is insulting. It is an insult in some ways to our pride and arrogance to be told that there's a savior who is not you, who has been born for you to do some saving of you that you are not able to accomplish on your own. And only those who are humble enough to allow that in and receive that and acknowledge that they need a savior, only those are able to truly be saved by this savior. There are some who may respond to this announcement by laying claim to another savior. They may say, well, someone may have been born who may claim to be my savior, but I already have my savior and they'll speak of their religious faith and the trust that they put in this person or that person or this relationship or that relationship. Or perhaps they may say, I do recognize that I need some saving, uh, but these other religions that I have found uh, are providing for me the salvation that I need. Or some will say uh, that, yes, I do need some saving, but I am my own savior. I don't need someone outside of me to be born for me to be my savior. Uh, if I can clean up my act and if I can search deep within, salvation does not come from within it or from without. It comes from within, within me. And if I look deep enough inside of me and let my true self come out and the true wisdom that is inside of me, I can save myself. Another way that some may respond to this announcement, there has been born for you a savior, is they may, in a patronizing way, tolerate this news as a helpful religious fantasy to other people. If you came to them and said, hey, I've got great news for you. There has been born for you a savior. In human history, a savior for you has been born. They may look at you and smile condescendingly. And say, you know what? What you just said is beautiful. Uh, and I can see that believing that really helps you a lot. And I can see that it makes you a better person. And you actually are a better friend to me because you believe that. And so I don't believe this actually happened in history. But if it helps you, I'm really happy for you. And so I affirm your truth. You have your truth and that helps you. And I have my truth, which is different. But let's not quibble over what's actually true. I just understand that what you believe to be true helps you to be a better person. And so 
you know what? I affirm that and I tolerate that. And then there are those who go one additional step and they actually embrace this news as a helpful religious fantasy for themselves. There are people who say, you know what, this did not actually happen in human history, but I embrace it nonetheless because it's a beautiful, poetic expression of human longing. And though it never actually happened in time, space, human history, um, hearing stories like this is a part of my faith and it helps to make me a better person. A few years ago, a study was done of uh, professing Christians. And one of the questions that they were asked was, how convinced are you that your religious faith is true? How convinced are you that the historical events that are uh, contained in the Bible, recorded in the Bible, how convinced are you that these things actually happen? The virgin birth of Christ and um, the resurrection of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and so on and so forth. Do you believe that your religion is universally true? And they got a number of interesting replies. One of the replies from someone who claims to be a Christian and a believer says this. Nobody really knows if the Christian faith is true. Whether or not my faith is true is not an issue for me. Truth is ephemeral. It's changing. What is true today is not true tomorrow. Whatever trips your trigger is fine with me. So, you know what? Don't uh, don't get bogged down on whether these things actually happened. That's not the point of faith. The point is that believing these things and telling myself these stories happens to trip my trigger. And whatever trips your trigger, if it's something else, that's fine. I've read other writers who speaking about the resurrection of Christ and other claims in the gospel accounts who who say that when you get bogged down on whether or not these things actually happen in human history, you rob the scripture of its poetry and meaning when you obsess on whether or not these things actually happened. A statement like that was made by a professor, a religion divinity professor at Duke University. And so they say, let's embrace these narratives as narratives of faith. They didn't actually happen, but there's poetry and there's meaning here that can make us a better person. But we come back to this announcement. There's a variety of ways of responding to this. But here's the announcement that the angel makes on the first Christmas evening. There has been born. For you, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is good news of great joy. How do we respond to this? With the time we have left, we're going to just observe the responses of the shepherds to this amazing news. And we'll observe five ways to respond to the good news that a Savior has been born for us. Five ways to respond. Number one, the, the first recommendation I would make to you, if you want to know how to respond to this announcement, that there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, it would be this, and that is let this news about the Savior relieve your fears. 
Let this news about the Savior relieve your fears. As has already been read when we were in verse 9 and the angel of the Lord made his appearance to these shepherds, this was the last thing they were expecting to, to happen. Uh, they didn't go into that evening expecting some miraculous thing to happen. And you know what? We're going to see an angel tonight. And one day our story is going to be in Luke chapter 2. and It will be a part of the Christmas narrative. No, they just went to work tending sheep like they always did. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appears before them. And the glory of the Lord began to shine around the angel and around the shepherds. And look at their response. And they were terribly frightened. Literally, they feared a great fear. This is like the strongest way that you can express that somebody is afraid. This is the most afraid that they have ever been in their lives. Their thought upon encountering this angel, who they know is a messenger of God to us. God has sent this angel to deliver a message to us. And you know what that means? We're dead. We are so dead. It's interesting that when you read the New Testament, whenever an angel makes an appearance, almost always that angel uh, provokes fear and anxi- anxiety in the heart of those that the angel is appearing before. And the first words out of the angel's mouth almost always has to be, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Nowadays, when people, you know, people love talking about angels and angels making appearances and and in the stories that are being told now, there's there's a notable absence often of fear. People aren't freaked out by angels making an appearance. And perhaps some might think, well, we're just more enlightened now. We know better than to be afraid. But I don't know, maybe we've lost a wisdom that like Mary, the mother of Jesus and the shepherds, And Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, maybe they had a wisdom that we've lost. Maybe they had the sense to be afraid when a messenger of God makes an appearance to them. We're told in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we see the shepherd's journey of faith beginning with the fear of the Lord. What was their worldview that was such that when a messenger of God made his appearance, these shepherds had the sense to be afraid? Well, we can piece a few things together with certainty. We know by their response that these shepherds would have believed that there is a God and that this God created the world and that this God created them, the shepherds. And that they owed their lives to this God. They also would have understood that, you know, we should be living our lives for his glory and to reflect his glory. But we have failed to live up to God's glory and his glorious purposes for us. We have sinned against him. We have gone our own way. And this God is a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, a God who justifiably has wrath against sin. And this angel is a messenger of this God to us who are sinners. And immediately they are terrified and their thought is we're dead. 
This angel has come to deliver very bad news to us and possibly to even carry out that bad news. We are judged. We are condemned. We are so dead. And that makes what the angel says all the more impressive. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And inside of this matrix of fear comes the greatest wisdom that they have ever heard. It says they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, literally stop being afraid. For, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And then he makes the announcement. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But notice the connection. Stop being afraid for or because I'm here to bring you good news. I'm not here to condemn you. I am not here to pronounce judgment from God upon you. Yes, there is a God. Yes, He's a holy God. Yes, you have sinned against this God. Yes, you deserve condemnation and judgment from this God. But I am here as a messenger of God to give you sinners incredible news. Good news of great joy. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel is giving them this news in part to settle their fears. The angel speaks this news to them with the intent that it would relieve their fear. To make them not afraid of judgment from God anymore. To not fear condemnation from God anymore. This messenger comes and instead of speaking condemnation, he speaks love. He speaks joy. He speaks hope and says there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a second way to respond to this announcement by the angel and that is to believe this news about the Savior. The angel says, Today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at verse 15. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing, look at the way they word this, that has happened which the Lord has made known unto us. They don't disbelieve the angel and say, that's crazy, that's impossible. Um, they don't even say, well, let's, let's go straight to Bethlehem and find out whether or not these things actually happen. No, they totally believe this announcement, this good news. And believing that it has happened, they say, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has indeed happened that the Lord has made known to us. They don't respond to the angel by saying, this is such a beautiful fiction. What you just said to us is so poetic and it makes us want to be better shepherds. This improves our lives. Thank you for enriching us. It hasn't happened, but, but nonetheless, we're happy you told us this tale. No, they believe that this has actually happened. And we need to believe that this has happened. 
We need to believe that there has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We need to be saved. And God has given us a Savior. And He is Christ the Lord. There's a third response that I would commend to you in responding to this good news. And that is make haste to experience this Savior for yourself. Make haste to experience this Savior for yourself. Again, reading verse 15, and when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known unto us. Look at that. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. No meandering path, no casual journey. And they didn't just resolve to do this. Verse 16, and they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The manger is a feeding trough for animals. They would have known that that Christ, this baby that has been born, would be lying in some kind of stable in a feeding trough for animals that animals would feed themselves out of. But it says they resolved to go straight to Bethlehem and they came in a hurry. They dropped everything that they were doing and they beat a path straight to Bethlehem and went from stable to stable in search of this Christ, this Savior that they had been informed about. Perhaps they may have run into some people that they knew on this journey who may have wanted to stop and chat. They weren't interested in stopping and chatting. The most important thing in their life was beating a path as directly as possible to this Savior that had been born for them. You get the strong sense that these shepherds understood their need for saving. And hearing this announcement from the messenger of God they made haste to directly experience this Savior for themselves. We live in a culture today that makes haste in a number of directions. Um, You know, uh, we, we live in a culture where people make haste to find the best deals that are out there. They will, uh, they'll stay outside of Best Buy uh, overnight the evening after Thanksgiving, in order to be the first ones into the store. They will camp out. Some did that this year days in advance, setting up tents outside of stores, making haste. And then as soon as those doors open, get out of the way. They make haste for the best deal. These shepherds on this very first Christmas made haste to Jesus They made haste to experience the Savior personally for themselves. I would imagine that there are some in this room that have never made haste to Jesus. Have you ever rushed to Jesus? Have you ever stopped what you were doing and stopped your other pursuits And looked at Jesus and said, he is the savior I need and he is for me. And I'm going to drop everything and make haste to him. Even you young people in this church family, maybe you've never come to a point in your life where you have run to Jesus. 
you've attended church all your life, you've heard your parents read Bible stories and read the scriptures to you, you've heard many sermons, you've sung many songs, but have you ever run to Jesus and made haste to embrace him as your Lord and your Savior? There's a fourth way that the shepherds respond that I think we can commend to ourselves And that is a fourth way to respond to this good news that there has been a Savior born for us who is Christ the Lord is to become a messenger of this news about the Savior, which is exactly what the shepherds did. They were not content to simply receive this news and experience this news. They themselves became messengers of this news to others about this Savior It says in verse 17, and when they had seen this, so they they find their way to a stable where there's the baby Jesus lying in a feeding trough for animals. And there's Joseph and Mary and they make known. Look what it says. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And they would have started with Joseph and Mary. They would have been out of breath and said, you cannot believe why we're here right now. We were doing our job and an angel appeared and told us. This announcement, and here's what the angel said, and he told us that we would find the Messiah, the Savior inside of this manger, this this feeding trough for animals. And we have found him, and that's what has brought us here. And so they made known the statement, they made known the announcement to Joseph and to Mary. And then upon leaving the stable scene... They told everybody else on their journey back to their occupation as shepherds. And it says in verse 18 and 19, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, who also heard these things, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So we see even their responses of amazement and treasuring these things holding them as of high value and pondering. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is is sitting here now thinking about these things. She just had a baby. And whatever goes along with that, uh, and the recovery that goes along with that, and she is here pondering. What does this mean? Trying to tease out all the ramifications of what's going on here. There has been born... For us, a Savior. And that baby of mine that just came out of my womb, that's our Savior. And she treasured that, pondering that in her heart. There's a fifth and final response that I would commend to you. A fifth way to respond to this good news of great joy. And that is live for the glory of God because of this news about the Savior, it says, and the shepherds went back glorifying. In other words, they went back to their shepherding, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. So they go back to their occupation. And I'm sure when they got back to that hillside or wherever it was, there was no angel there, no glory of the Lord shining you know, around them. So everything was as it always had been. And yet what's different is these shepherds are different. 
And they are glorifying God. They are praising God. Something has happened in their lives to where they now live for God's glory and not their own. They've been delivered from their puny world of living for themselves and they're living for something far greater. And that is God. And they're praising God. You can tell a lot about a person by listening to what they praise. When you talk to some people about their faith, what you hear them do is praise themselves. Here's what I've done. Here's what I don't do. And then they'll run down other people so that their candle will burn a little brighter by way of comparison. But these shepherds, they're praising God for what God has done. If you came to these shepherds and said, tell me about your faith, they wouldn't brag about themselves. They would brag about God who he is and what he has done. And as they went forth and declared this message to others, they didn't go to others with a list of counsel and advice and here's some tips for living. No, they went announcing this good news, not telling people what they need to do, but ultimately announcing to other people what God has done. That's the key to salvation. It's not what you need to do. It's you simply recognizing, you and I recognizing what God has done in order for our salvation to be accomplished. Let's bow our heads together. God is so good to tell us a narrative like this so that we can observe in the shepherds something of the flavor of what our response should be. If you're here today and you've never made haste to Jesus, I'm inviting you this morning to make haste to Him right now. You physically don't have to get up. You don't have to raise your hand. Just right where you are seated, you can make haste to Jesus and say right now there's nothing more important than for me to come to Jesus and look to Him for salvation Jesus was born into this world to live the life that you could never have lived. And he died the death that you deserve to die. And God raised him from the dead. He died for your sins so that you could have cleansing and forgiveness from all of the sins that you've committed. And this Savior now invites you to make haste to him. Put away your trust in anything or anyone else. And say, Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior for me. And just call out to Him right now where you're seated. There's no magic words. Just speak your heart to Him. and Say, Jesus, I, I must have a Savior. I must have forgiveness. And it is to You that I make haste. And I call upon you and ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. After the service, please come up and talk to me. I'll be up front here and I know others would be happy to talk to you, but let us help you in any way that we can in your journey to Christ. Lord, we thank you for this passage and for the truth of it. There's only one response ultimately that's appropriate to this announcement, and that is surrender and belief. 
Just a humble recognition. Okay, God says I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And God says Jesus is my Savior. And the only Savior who can save me, I believe that. And it is to Jesus that I make haste. May we make haste to Him this coming week. May we be messengers of this good news of who He is and what He has done. And may we live our lives going into the ordinary of our lives, our occupations, neighborhoods, and friendships, and family get-togethers, glorifying and praising You for all that we have heard and seen. We thank you also for this opportunity to give of our offerings to you. Lord, receive these funds and do much with them for the glory of Jesus. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.